just kept going till the end, man, and it doesn't matter in this race here. Until you cross that yard of bricks for the final time, it doesn't matter, and uh, it's phenomenal. Indianapolis is so special to me. It's, you know, it's defined my career. Hello and welcome to episode 50 of TPF Indy, our podcast about everything IndyCar here at the Park Ferme. I'm Doug Patterson, and as usual, I have with me Tom, the motorsport monk, Firth, and John, the race fan, Olsakowski. Tonight, we sift through the rubble after the mayhem that went down at the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach. Alexander Rossi, super aggressive in qualifying and super smooth during the race, dominated the weekend. But newcomers Ed Jones and Zach Beach also yielded extremely impressive results. Ryan Hunter Ray had a race he would rather forget, and Bourdais made the pass of the decade. Lastly, we wish John Bon Voyage as he gets set to head to the Barbara Motorsport Park for next weekend's IndyCar and Monster Road to Indy races. We'd also like to extend a warm welcome and thank you to photographer extraordinaire, the reverend of the Church of All Things Racy Goodness, Scott James. Scott joins us as our West Coast photographer and will be at Sonoma for us this year, and we thank him for his willingness to share his amazing talent with us. This is TPF Indy. Well, good afternoon and evening, gentlemen. Hello. How are you? I'm I'm okay. It's finally not freezing here. Uh, <laughs> although we have another weekend coming, so yeah, I, I've still yet to race this this year. I'm not happy about this. Uh, <laughs> we were uh, we were supposed to race last uh, or this uh, past weekend. And nope. uh, and I was supposed to begin the defense of my 2017 championship, and again there was there was ice and ick and all kinds of stuff. Uh, of course, the the Angels and uh, and Royals game on Sunday got canceled as well uh, because of ice and and inclement weather. So it. Uh, it's been all kinds of crazy here. We'll try again next weekend, although temperatures are supposed to plummet once again on the weekend and rain and maybe ice in the morning when I'm supposed to race. I don't know. Man, <laughs> this is crazy. But uh, anyway, uh, John, how are you? Down where it's a little warmer than than up here in Missouri. It, it, it is warmer, um, and it actually... Uh, dried out long enough for me to be able to mow my lawn yesterday. <laughs> so uh, it, okay, gr- that's yeah, suburban problems. I get mm-hmm. it, you know. But uh, but but it's it's actually not bad today. It's actually a beautiful day. It has it was yesterday too. Um, so sorry to rub it in. <laughs> no worries, Tom. Uh, sunny with a chance of rain. Yep, pretty much. Um, it's uh, it, it's been surprisingly nice lately. It's it's cloudy and it's kind of normal. I think on Thursday, if we pray enough to the weather gods, it might be sunny for about five minutes. So um, looking forward to that. They did a uh, a sketch on the show Portlandia about that. Um, only it was in Portland, not in England, and it was like five minutes of sun, and it, you know it was only for like. I don't know, 10 square meters or something like that, and they're chasing this little block of sun down the street. <laughs> well, same type of maritime uh, climate, right? Oh, yeah, very similar. So, Ask Mike Shaw about it. 
Yeah, yeah, true. And he's going to have a busy weekend uh, ahead of him. This weekend is the Oregon Trail Rally. And uh, Mike Shaw, our good friend over at uh, Open Paddock, he is an organizer for for that rally. So he doesn't just cover rally. He he organizes rally. And uh, so he is going to have a very, very busy weekend. And Ken Block is coming out of hiding and bringing his uh, his Cosworth to uh, to uh, to Oregon Trail, that uh, that lovely Mercure with the Cosworth power plant. Uh, yeah, that's a, it is a sweet sweet looking car, and uh, and I I uh, I miss when Ken Block used to come to the Hundred Acre Wood and get him get to see him just flying around the corners. But uh, anyway, uh, so wish him a a safe and fun and successful rally this uh, this upcoming weekend and. Um, Tom, do you do you know uh, do you remember is uh, uh, in in the, I know this is, in rally this is hard because you're always searching for uh, for a signal strength and uh, and bandwidth out in the woods. But do you know if the ARA American Rally Association uh, if they're going to have any kind of live or uh, or near live timing available? Um, I'm not sure to be honest. Um, I know Mike does a little bit, um, actually quite a lot for them in terms of um, interviews and things, so he's probably better to ask than me. Uh, but no, I, I don't know, unfortunately. Um, also on Block, I think he's doing, uh, if just I know, I know we're talking about rallying, but I think he's doing the uh, WRC round in Spain as well, I think I read today. I was going to have a, have a look at doing it again, which oh, is brilliant. quite interesting. Is he doing that with M-Sport? Um, yeah, well, I think it's kind of his uh, a, a link between the two. But yeah, he's going to be out for Rally Catalonia. I read earlier. Oh, amazing! Yeah, I uh, I loved it when he was in WRC, and uh, and yeah, he was never going to be a championship contender. And anyone who thought that he was, uh, they they were they were they were dreaming. Uh, but. I uh, always thought he did uh, did decently. He uh, he didn't embarrass himself. I don't think. I think he showed pretty well, and uh, look forward to his return to uh, to WRC. Yep, that's in October. So looking forward to that. Yep. Uh, all right. Well, as uh, as we mentioned, uh, we really don't do rally here. We leave that to people far more knowledgeable and experienced with such things than than us. Uh, we instead will uh, take our lack of experience and knowledge and understanding instead uh, wax on about IndyCar <laughs> with about as much knowledge. Uh, well, except for Tom. Tom, of course, the monk uh, knows everything about everything motorsport, and John yeah. and I are just kind of here to to fill in the uh, the silent gaps. And make the occasional snarky comment. Right. <laughs> so, anyway, gentlemen, uh, Long Beach, it is always a grand party. Um, sometimes billed as the uh, the Monaco of the West Coast, right? And uh, in <laughs> that, it doesn't always end up being a, uh, a thrilling race, uh, but it's a historic race. Uh, of course, has its roots back in Formula Five Thousand and uh, in Formula One, and uh, and then kart course, and uh, and then eventually IndyCar. But <clears throat> the uh, the event has always been well, just that it's always been an event. 
where people can come and and party and have a great time and occasionally see a race car go by. Uh, and they packed the weekend full. They had the stadium trucks there. They had IMSA there. Um, and, of course, uh, IndyCar. But uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the, uh, the IndyCar uh, goings-on first. And, and let's begin with, uh, with practice. Unfortunately, uh, of course, practice happened on a day that uh, I was otherwise occupied. So I didn't get to see a whole lot of it. Uh, except, Darn day job. I know, right? Uh, well, <laughs> you know the the bank keeps wanting money for the mortgage, and uh, and so I gotta I gotta keep doing the job. But uh, as as I understood it, Rossi was uh, pretty much on top of it from uh, from the first session. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it was it, it was a fairly incredibly. Um, Throughout the weekend, how representative practice was, because usually in IndyCar you start to get practice and then you get to qualifying, and what happened in practice really didn't represent that much. This weekend it was kind of Dixon and Rossi up at the top, all the practice, mm-hmm. and that kind of continued on. Um, not a great deal happened in practice, to be honest. I, I, to be honest, I thought it was going to be more dramatic than it was, considering what we saw at St. Pete with people were kind of struggling with the cars quite a bit there. There was a few people ran on and stuff, but really the only kind of big moment was Sato, who hit the wall fairly hard, and I think that upset his whole weekend, to be honest. Yeah, he, uh, that was that was a brutal hit. It came around... Uh... Uh, and I forget what turn it was. Uh, was it turn one? No. I think it was... It could have been turn one. I thought, I thought it was the wall on the outside of turn one, actually. Okay. So, yeah, it was definitely a, a left-hander, and uh, and he basically just lost the, the rear end. He uh, he oversteered, the back end stepped out on him, slapped the, uh, the wall pretty darn hard. And, of course, that caused the front to snap around, and then he hit the front of the car pretty darn hard. It was uh, uh, car over at that point. It was uh, it made uh, some serious crunching sounds. And uh, uh, King also hit the wall, too, didn't he? He kind of nosed it right into, like, turn yeah, on. King did, yeah, King did the kind of traditional IndyCar thing of going into the corner and not quite getting around it and going straight into the wall of the side um, and buried his, his nose in there which brought out a red flag for a bit yeah. um, that was a bit more of a sort of conventional IndyCar street circuit accent though, where Sartre's was quite big and slightly unusual uh, a lack of balance type of uh, type of affair with Sato as opposed to just overdriving on the, uh, on the part of King Pretty much, yeah. So the uh, this weekend brings something that we've been talking about, but hadn't actually made an appearance yet. Uh, but uh, Graham comes into the weekend sporting the new Total livery, and I thought it looked pretty darn good. I did too. Um, yeah, I think on the on Long Beach in in the sun, it looked looked, looked pretty good. Um, I'm not sure if you'd kind of been in a place where it had been kind of a bit more overcast and cloudy. It would have stood out quite as well as it did. I think Long Beach just kind of hands itself to sponsor liveries like that. Um, just because it is bright sunshine and 
the kind of angles of it, you get to see it a bit clearer. Um, but no, it looked good, and it's good to see uh, a big sponsor on on an IndyCar. And yeah, I think I think it's it's great for Graham and great for IndyCar. I like that uh, that, that they carried the. <clears throat> it's kind of a red, white, and blue stars and stripes motif. Uh, and they carried that through, like, uh, to the uniform, and I believe it was his gloves, too. Um, we got to see a lot of his onboard and his gloves, ultimately. But uh, the fact that a sponsor is not only, you know, putting up for, you know, a livery, but, you know, uh, uh, carrying their look and brand through the fire suit and everything else is... Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, that's an indication of a good relationship with a sponsor, possibly a long-term situation as well. Um, one of his sponsors is a. It's related to charities for military uh, troops, and I think that's the Stars and Stripes side of it, mm-hmm. which is raising quite a bit of money by the sounds of it this year for for that charity. Um, by what he was saying after um, after Long Beach. Even better. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll probably get to see how it looks in the clouds next weekend as they uh, go down to Barber, uh, because it looks like there's there's a good chance that it's going to be pretty wet on uh, on Sunday. But more on that later, as they say, film at eleven. Uh, but back to qualifying at Long Beach in Group One, Round One. Uh, we we see uh, Graham going around in his new Tatao livery. Uh, someone we didn't see going around all that well, in fact, hasn't all this year, and I'm kind of surprised, is Chavez. Uh, you know, Harding Racing and Gabby Chavez had uh, some pretty good outings last year. Uh, is, is it trying to wrap their heads around this new uh, this new package, or... Uh, were there some other big changes at the at the team that uh, caused this kind of degradation of pace? Um, yeah, I, f- I think it's I think it's quite a few things. I think they've had a major change over the winter. They haven't just sort of gone from being doing a few races to doing entire season. They've also had quite a few personnel people coming in. Um, maybe the, the the amount of change has been a bit two lads too quickly for them and it's just taken a little while to kind of figure out what's going on um, within the team before they can kind of, um, I guess, capitalise on their new hires of various levels. Um, so, yeah, I think I think maybe that's part of it and maybe just getting used to the UK as well. It's just taking a bit longer for them than, than, than it is for other teams um, that have a little bit more experience of changing from one type of sassy to the next one. You know, the other thing that struck me in uh, in that group one, round one, was uh, both Ganassi drivers were in that group, uh, Jones and Dixon, and there was a time when they were nose to tail on track, and I was really surprised to see them, see the, the two that close together out on course, especially later in the, uh, in, in the session. And it had me wondering if the post-target Ganassi squad isn't maybe quite the polished machine that it used to be. They certainly didn't look at really all weekend. Um, Okay, Dixon was second in, uh, you know, his group and, you know, 
advance through the qualifying sessions, but despite Dixon's performance, there wasn't much that really looked Ganassi-esque. Yeah, yeah. Um, like, like, certainly not, um, as you said, as, as polished and as uh, near-perfect as, uh, as you would expect from Ganassi. Um, you know, it's always been, you could count on Penske and Ganassi to always have, you know, everything being spot on. Right. Um, and now it's only Penske. Well, and I'm going to say also that it seems that, uh, that Andretti Autosport is kind of starting to pick up that number two spot from, uh, from Ganassi in terms of uh, having everything fine-tuned and well-oiled. Uh, Ryan hunter Ray, you know, we've been talking uh, a bit about Rossi, but uh, Ryan hunter Ray looked really, really good in uh, in this Group 1. He, uh, in fact, he led the uh, that, that first session, uh, followed by Dixon, Dixon, Newgarden, Wickens, Graham Rahal, and Jordan King, who, uh, who all passed through uh, Ed Jones, uh, second uh, Ganassi driver, did not. Uh, but uh, all of the uh, well, uh, Ryan Hunter Ray was the only um, Andretti driver in uh, in that group. But uh, he came away with uh, with the top speed. Uh, and so I'm I'm wondering if we're still looking at you know Ganassi and and Penske as the top two dogs. And maybe we're we're seeing a a bit of a changing of the guard again. Mm, I'm, I'm I'm not I'm not entirely convinced. Um, I think Ganassi's gone for a lot of change last year. Um, Steve Letter, one of their like sort of top management teams, has left. Um, there's quite a few changes going on. The NASCAR team seems to have a similar problem to the IndyCar team in that they have one car which is consistently quick and a second car which isn't doing so well at the moment um, and I'm, I, I don't think Ganassi's really lost anything I think they've they made a few more mistakes this weekend but at the same time if you look at the sort of results from last year um, Dixon's aren't any different particularly than what they were at this stage last year um, okay. so I, 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 think, I think it's going okay and I also think that Dixon isn't a driver that needs to win all the time I think you kind of got to remember that you know it's kind of like you have drivers that consistently need to keep winning races to keep an momentum dixon's a kind of points guy you know it's bringing home and adding up the scores and being in the fight it's it's also i I think there's also a difference in perspective especially when you look at results um um, up until last year ganassi has had uh you know four drivers to who were capable of putting up results either in qualifying or in a race um, given the right circumstances. True, none of them were as solidly as consistent as Dixon, uh, nowhere even close. But, uh, you know, the fact that, uh, you know, Kimball, you know, could uh, put in a good qualifying effort if you get the right setup and the right conditions, that sort of thing. You know, the same thing with with TK every once in a while. And even... uh, we could probably accept, expect the same out of Ed Jones as well. Um, good runs 
good solid runs uh, every once in a while, but not you know, not consistent. I uh, I'm going to argue with that, but I'm going to argue with with that later. So I want to talk a lot about Ed Jones. I'm really big on this guy. Um, I uh, I like Jones a lot. I like his consistency a lot, and uh, I think he's a. Uh, I, I think he's going to be a bit of a sleeper this season. Uh, but, as I said, more on that later. On to round two of qualifying. And, man, this one was really stacked. Uh, of course, Alexander Rossi just showing everybody how it was how it was done here in group two. Um, but one of the things that uh, kind of irritated uh, the, uh, the Penske boys of Power and Pagano was uh, when the green flag fell... I think uh, before it the before the flag reached its nadir, uh, the Rossi was was out and passed the two yep. Penske boys, and uh, running on clear track, and uh, it, it seemed like Power and Passiono kind of got caught flat-footed when the session began. You know, I, I, you have to wonder if that sort of <clears throat> aggressive. Uh, aggressiveness as far as you know you know taking track position you know during session is not something he might have learned from uh you know formula one and the uh, the rest of the the european formula circuit because they tend to be a little well not a little significantly more territorial mm-hmm. um in that regard there's a lot more uh you know political mind games going on um there um and if you know take advantage of some of the tactics they use over there to get him a, a better position here i think i see nothing wrong with it no no i i think you're right and i think we saw that in uh, in the fast 6 uh but uh, some other things that went down in, in Group 2 here. We had our first on-track incident during qualifying as Kaiser understeered into the uh, wall, broke his half shaft, and uh, brought out a uh, a yellow but no red. There was a debris flag, uh, but uh, no, no red flag to stop the uh, session and clean things up. Um, I wondered about that and thought, well, maybe... They're uh, they're also thinking of the constraint of uh, of track availability because as I mentioned, there's a lot going on with the stadium trucks and with the uh, with the IMSA races and uh, and such. Uh, there wasn't a spare moment of uh, of track time, right? And so was this an effort by uh, by race control to maybe say? Uh, let's just not throw the red here and uh, have people deal with it, and we'll clean it up afterwards. It did disappear, so yeah. Um, I was surprised they didn't throw the red, to be honest. But it, it does appear that that was possibly the logic behind it. I think under the circumstances that you know you don't have much much choice, you know. Um, I, I can't say I'm going to complain because you know it ended up working out. Um, but yeah, it was. I agree with Tom. It's normally something that, that where they would have thrown a red. Yeah. Well, the the drivers who made it through uh, round one and group two were Alexander Rossi, handily, by the way, uh, ahead of Simon Pagano, 
And then in third, Sebastian Bourdais, uh, again, showing that uh, he he and the Dale Coin crew are uh, uh, they're legit this year. They uh, they are not to be taken lightly. And then Will Power, James Hinchcliffe, Tony Kanaan. Um Marco had a uh, he's had some struggles, uh, and so has Spencer Piggott. He's he, Piggott showed uh, some uh, a, a hint of promise here, uh, some early pace, but uh, just didn't pan out during uh, during qualifying. No, agreed. Um, very mixed for, for Piggott the last. Well, since I guess he kind of came into Indigo, really. Yeah. Um, which is a bit of a shame. Um, and he's kind of been shown up a little by King now, which mm-hmm. doesn't help. No, no, it doesn't. Uh, so on to round two, uh, the the top 12, uh, as it's uh, as it's called. So here in, in uh, group two, again, we see Rossi pull the same trick. Uh, that he pulled in the previous session, and before the uh, the green flag reached the bottom of its descent, boom, he was out. And this time, both uh, Pagano and Power were were on their radios almost immediately, asking, "Why isn't there a penalty?" And I and I thought to myself, "A penalty for what?" Uh, because he was faster out of the gate than you, and you got caught flat-footed again. Uh, yeah, I I don't know what penalty they were were wanting to see. I I don't know that that's just uh, that's political gamesmanship trying to say, um, you know, he did something wrong. Uh, the fact that the matter is, uh, I think that maybe they as an organization expect that they're going to be, you know, the first ones out and, uh, um, <laughs> maybe somebody, re- you know, realized, Hey, I'm just going to go a- at the earliest possible moment and screw what everybody else thinks, mm-hmm. uh, thinks, which good for him. Oh, I yeah, love them. I love, I, I mean, that. like, I mean, like in the first, like in the round one group two, when he did it, it's like, okay, we, we were a bit slow this time, but it happening twice. It's kind of like I can kind of see that that, that their irritation, even if uh, the penalty, like idea of calling a penalty for it was wrong. Um, it, it's it's got to annoy you when it happens twice in two sessions, and you sat there going, "What the hell?" <laughs> oh, so, I can definitely see it being annoying for sure. It's it, it's one of those things that's like a, a a running gag in a slapstick comedy. You know, <laughs> the same thing keeps happening over and over and over again. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway, so at the uh, at the end of this session, or right, actually before the end of the session, uh, we saw the weekend already start to come apart a little bit for Ryan Hunter Ray, who had tremendous pace. Showed that he had tremendous pace in round one, um, but he got slapped with a penalty. Uh, it, the uh, and this has been an issue at Long Beach in past years, where when you exit pit lane, so pit exit dumps out right before turn one, and there's a a line, and uh, you have to 
cross over and they they've cut the uh the surface of the of the track of, of the pit lane exit uh they've cut a little uh, <clears throat> a strip out of that and put put in a uh a timing and scoring line that your transponder must pass over before you're allowed to then turn left onto the racing surface and uh Ryan Hunter Ray was uh, a little too quick with his uh, with his turn, and the transponder went. You know, his nose went outside of that bright orange painted stripe that uh, that you need to run over. And you know, it's not a judgment call. It's not someone uh, you know trying to look at an instant replay. It's did you trigger that timing line or no? And if you didn't, boom, penalty. I mean, it's pretty clear yeah. cut. Uh, and it was the first of, uh, of several mistakes that Ryan Hunter Ray made over the weekend. It, it was also the first uh, instance of uh, the Ryan Hunter Ray whine um, about what, what was it? For fifteen years, we've done this, blah blah blah. <laughs> um, you know about the about the penalty, right? Uh, the fact of the, the fact of the matter is I am certain that in the drivers meeting before qualifying oh yes that was something that they told them expressly uh, express about it Paul Tracy was pointing it out using his onboard video here is the line <laughs> your sent the center line of your car has to pass over the very tip of this orange line and let's fast forward a little bit you can see he didn't Right. And, and like you said, it was it was very cut and dry. But, you know, it was Ryan Hunter Ray being Ryan Hunter Ray yeah, I mean, afterward trying to blame whatever else. I mean, the the whole Glen line at Long Beach kind of came up two years ago with Pagina. Yep. And yep. that's why we have the automated system that we have now, because before that, they just kind of let them do it. Mm-hmm. Um and if I remember right, a load of drivers got pinged at the round after Long Beach when they first did it at uh, the Indianapolis Grand Prix, including U Garden. So, you know, it, it's it's not like it's the first driver that since this rule came in two years ago has kind of been pinged by it. It's like kind of this was in place last year at Long Beach, presumably. So why they kind of why he kind of didn't adhere to it this year i I don't i don't get it yeah well it 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 wasn't uh we'll talk about ryan hunter ray during the race as well it it wasn't the first mental lap or wasn't the last mental laps he would make uh this weekend which is really unfortunate because he had he had a really fast hot rod uh he had uh probably the only other car on the on the grid that was capable Yeah. yeah that that had anything for rossi um but the uh the the other the other thing that uh that struck me here in in round 2 of qualifying was Wickens. Wickens didn't have a a great round 1 and uh, an even worse round 2. In fact, uh he came in he could have taken another lap. He could have taken another lap. He had time, but instead uh in uh, in his last time lap, uh, as uh, the clock was winding down, he hit the pits out of uh, out of the uh, the top six, and so he was just admitting, "There's nothing left. I'm done. This is this is as good as it gets." And 
given how amazingly quick he was at St. Petersburg and at Phoenix, I, I'll be honest, I was a little surprised by this. Yeah, I mean, he he never looked on it all weekend, really. Um, even in practice, like I think the best time he had was sort of twelve fastest or eleven fastest. So it it just never quite seemed to click this weekend for Wickens mm-hmm. um, in terms of the pace that we've seen him elsewhere this yeah. year. So I I don't know if you know that that had an effect on why he just thought right that'll do. It's as good as it's going to get. Um, but yeah, it certainly wasn't the race, the Wiccans kind of speed that was in the last two rounds. So the uh, the drivers that that passed through into the Firestone Fast Six were Will Power, Alexander Rossi, Scott Dixon, Joseph Newgarden, Simon Pashino, and Graham Rahal. Graham had a, uh, a had some really great pace, uh, but going into uh, the Fast Six, you know, here I was all set to uh, really see a race off of pit road, right? After being smoked in in round uh, round one and round two by Rossi, uh, I expected to almost see a, a three way battle to the stripe uh, coming out of the uh, of the pits. Uh, but uh, when the green flag flew, everybody went out except Rossi. He just sat in his pit stall, and everybody else went out, and and they were clicking off laps, and the time was dwindling down, and there sat Rossi. Um, uh, it, it was, uh, I to be honest, I was a little surprised at first, but then I thought about it, and I thought about what you had mentioned, John, about his time in uh, Formula One. I'm like, this is... <laughs> This is exactly a Formula One-esque type of move. Uh, yep. We know we've got pace. We're going to save our tires. We're going to do one uh, one flyer and uh, get across that line with just enough time that maybe we can get a second flyer in if we need it. But uh, they were banking on a singular hot lap. And uh, everybody else was trying and pushing super, super hard. Uh, Will Power, uh, he brushed the uh, the turn nine wall a little bit, trying to uh, trying to go fast. And Joseph Newgarden did well a little bit more than than brush. He uh, he slapped that wall pretty darn hard. Yeah, his he had suspension damage. Um... Mm-hmm. Left rear, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah, totally. And he was, you know, you could see it after it happened. It was just kind of, kind of wobbling down the uh, uh, this the straightaway after that exit. But uh, Rossi, when he laid down his lap, it was. <laughs> I, I, I'm I'm sure that, that you know when they uh, uh, talked about their strategy for the fast six, Rossi says, "Look, I got this." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it, it, supreme confidence, right? Well I mean, it earned was, confidence. It, it, it was it, it was apparent. So, it, and and he did. And it, what was it? It was it was a half a second faster, uh, his one lap. And like you said, he came across the line with what was it? Just a few seconds left. So yep. he had he had the ability to make another lap if he needed, and he, he just didn't. He didn't. Uh, Willpower did end up. <laughs> shaving some time off that gap. But yeah, initially it was uh, half a second 
he put on the rest of the grid. Uh, Will Power in his final lap closed that down to uh, 0.35 uh, seconds, so a little over a third of a second. But still, man, that was a uh, that was an amazing bit of uh, of confidence and driving demonstrated by uh, by Rossi. Tom, your thoughts? Yeah, uh, just pure domination. I mean, he just summed up what had happened in the sessions previously and throughout qualifying. Um, just a heck of a lap, and it just looked perfect. Um, no one else was anywhere near particularly. I didn't really uh, see, um, unfortunately, what happened with Ugarden. I, I heard it, and I, I heard his comments afterwards um, and sounded pretty fed up at it, but um, I didn't actually sadly see it. Yeah, it, it was uh, it was, uh, it was a significant hit. It, it wasn't the little brush that, uh, that Power had. It was... It was pretty obvious as soon as he hit the wall, John, as you said, yep, he bent something. Uh, so, but con- considering both Power and Newgarden, they both hit the wall, uh, hit the same wall. Um, you know that they were chasing Rossi. Oh, absolutely, and, they and, knew and, it was and, coming. And hard. But they, but you know, they didn't have. Uh, let's face it, Rossi was on rails, mm-hmm. um, and, and there wasn't anything anybody could have uh, could yeah. have done, barn from. You know, no. So your uh, your top six qualifiers in order were Alexander Rossi, Will Power, Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon, Graham Rahal, and Joseph Newgarden, uh, and that's how they would line up for the race. But before we go to the race, gentlemen, any last thoughts on uh, on qualifying? Um, no, I don't think so. I think I managed to predict five out of six of the ones that were going to be in the first six. <laughs> so I was quite happy. Yeah, he did. Although yeah, we, we, we suggested starting a betting pool for uh, that 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 second round uh, for the fast six round. Mm. Well, and if it hadn't been fun to Ray, um, I would have got six out of six, but mm, couldn't be about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, the race and the race start <laughs> and. You know, this is something. There are a few tracks around the uh, the IndyCar schedule where you can say this. Mid Ohio has traditionally been one. Uh, remember being there a, a few years ago and uh, uh, walking down to my traditional uh, starting shoot, uh, where I usually shoot to start for Mid Ohio, is there uh, inside of Turn Five, uh, kind of looking over at China Beach. Because uh, they start on the back stretch, right, and uh, and so the first turn of the of the race is actually turn four, and uh, and so I was uh, joking with a buddy of mine. Uh, he says, "Where are you, where are you headed?" So, well, I'm going to go to turn five, and I'm going to shoot the uh, race start from there, and then I'm going to shoot the uh, the lap five restart from there <laughs> and, and then we bought and uh, they all chuckled and of course that's exactly how it went down and in uh long beach is kind of that way too you know you uh you have your start and then you have your restart uh because there's usually some uh kerfuffle in uh, in turn one and this weekend was uh it, it was no exception although when the flag dropped man 
Rossi was just gone. He was like he had the uh, the flux capacitor all wound up, and uh, you could almost see the uh, the the stripes of fire coming off of his tires. Right? <laughs> Boom! Off he's he's gone. Uh, when this baby hits eighty eight miles an hour, <laughs> you're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> <clears throat> yes, and uh, and I tell you what, it was uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, but then coming in turn one, Ray Hall. Uh, lock the rears is is what he was saying. I didn't see any puff of smoke, uh, but he was saying that the that the rears locked up and he he got into the back of uh, Scott Dixon not super hard, no, but no, hard not, enough. Not, not Scott Dixon. It was Pagano. Oh, you're right, right, right. I have it in my notes and I misspoke. Uh, he did get nope. into the back of uh, Pagano. Thank you. And uh, and turn pegs around, um, and uh, and no, I I think uh, and, and now as I remember that that uh, event again, it it was enough to cause damage, wasn't that uh, that ended uh, Pagano's race because he uh, he got looped around and then uh, what hit the uh, hit the wall and broke his uh, his rear wheel, right? I'm not sure what broke, but yeah, he did uh, end up uh, backing it into the wall and had race-ending damage of some sort. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, it, yeah, when uh, when they were going into braking, you know, when they showed that in replays, they showed uh, uh, Graham's onboard and under braking, it was pretty obvious that he had zero control. <laughs> uh, and there was a point; it was like. It, remember when they had that 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 autonomous uh, vehicle that hit that uh, truck at a demonstration, um, oh, and it was all in very, it, yeah, and it was all in extreme slow motion. That's mm-hmm. kind of how it was with Graham. <laughs> it's like he knew it was coming like a second before it happened. He's like, "What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Well, if I hit him and then I juke left, you know, you know, I can get around the court. And that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. He plowed into him, juke left, and kept on going. Yep. Yeah, so, you know, it, it, you one, know, one thing was going to happen. It was just how to mitigate the damage for himself. Uh, and so, you know. I, and, and to a certain extent, everybody else around him, too. Mm-hmm. And I have to wonder, though, if he said that, that the rear's locked up. Uh, how much of this was a driver error versus an engineering error of not having the the balance of the car or the brake balance adjusted correctly from the from the start? Good question. Um, and is that something that the driver has an adjustment for in the car? They do. They do. Brake bias. Yeah. They do have brake bias, uh, as well as weight jacker and mm-hmm. you know, some other things. But uh, but the initial uh, settings, you know, are uh, are established by engineering. I don't know. I don't know if it. But by Ray Hall's post race comments, and obviously he may not know, um, it it did. It did seem to kind of indicate that it was a, a driving error because he was very apologetic about it afterwards. Um, but but whether once they investigate it, that that stands, I don't know. But it, it certainly kind of seemed that he thought he was at fault for it. Yeah. Okay. And you know, and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, not trying to. Uh, 
you know, say that Ray Hall wasn't at fault or uh, or, or anything like that. It, it just struck me odd that uh, that's uh, that type of lockup causing that particular style of loss of braking force isn't normally something that's in the uh, the driver's hand. So uh, that's just what came up to me. But in the same little kerfuffle, and this is why I was thinking of uh, Dixon earlier, is because Ray Hall, or I'm sorry, Ryan Hunter Ray, uh, ends up clipping uh, Dixon. And uh, Dixon went on, was just fine, <laughs> but Ryan Hunter Ray uh, had, a, uh, had a destroyed front wing. He tried to get up kind of inside of uh of Dixon wasn't uh wasn't even close to being there to be honest and when Dixon turned in uh and and uh Ryan Hunter Ray didn't uh give him the room to do that boom right over his uh his end plate his uh right side end plate and uh that was it so in the full course caution that uh, followed Pagano stopping on track with a uh, with a broken race car. Uh, in comes uh, Ryan Hunter Ray into into the pits uh, along with uh, Harvey Kaiser and Kimball, who also came in uh, uh, hoping to uh, to gain a little advantage by going off strategy. Uh, but the uh, the restart. Uh, I thought, okay, well here it is. Here's the second chance. They saw what Rossi did. On the uh, on the start, maybe they get to uh, uh, jump him a little bit this time, or uh, or time it better. Uh, but nope, <laughs> as soon as the restart <laughs> comes, boom, there goes Rossi. Uh, and of Screw course, you guys, I'm going home. Yep, and uh, and Ray Hall served his uh, drive-through penalty once we went back to green, and he didn't seem too surprised. Uh, in fact, he was kind of expecting that there was going to be that penalty coming down. Yeah, kind of hard to deny it, Ames. Mm-hmm. Had a pretty good drive after it, though. He did. He had day, a recovery. He had a great recovery uh, from it, and and, and uh, we'll talk him talk about him late in race, too. But yeah, he had a a very nice, uh, very nice recovery from it. And you know, early in the race, one of the things that I noticed. Uh, was uh, was something that uh, you know we had seen Beach uh, kind of struggling this year so far, uh, uh, finishing 16th at uh, both of the first rounds, uh, but uh, and he didn't have a a super fantastic qualifying effort, but in the opening laps. Um, you know whether everything was uh, just right with the car. They make some changes, or he made some uh, driving style changes, or a little column A, a little column B. Um, he had picked up four spots by lap eight and looked uh, pretty darn strong. Uh, yeah, so, sorry about the delay. Yeah, um, he did seem much stronger in the race. Um, I think his eventual finishing point was kind of helped by other things later on but he certainly seemed stronger and was certainly able to uh to clear cars himself during the race um and and looked more confident out there um i suppose long beach is somewhere that he's had i suppose he has at St. Pete as well but um mm-hmm. a bit more experience at, a little bit more kind of success that maybe in in other cars and just kind of getting used to the car a bit more 
um, getting used to working with the team a bit more with a bigger engineer, much bigger engineering staff than what we would have had in um, lights and kind of just, I guess, beginning to kind of get a bit of advice from his teammates as well. Um, I did notice how much in the process quotes Rossi mentioned him. So there's kind of seems to be kind of clearly a, a relationship within the team between them. It, it's not kind of like he's the U kid and we're just going to kind of go and do our own thing. Um, so, so yeah, I, I guess things are just kind of slowly getting there for each. And it's good because he kind of needs to, uh, needs to have some good results. And the Jetty need more cars up near the front. So, Agreed. Yeah, I, will say, I will say that Zach Veach could definitely use a new livery that round <laughs> livery is because in indie lights he had this it was it was that striking white with purple yeah yeah um and it was very obvious and now it's like <laughs> hey what's that lump of crap <laughs> you know i it, actually like his his library i i uh i dig it i i think it's uh it's unique it's uh uh, it's not something that we've uh, seen often that color scheme, and it's uh, certainly unique. It is, and mm-hmm. and I I'll admit I have a uh, I have a soft spot in my heart for uh, for metallic brown cars. I uh, my uh, my first car as a kid was a 1977 Mercury Cougar Brome that was that uh, metallic chocolate blunt, <laughs> chocolate brown, and so I. Uh, I I saw that I'm like I like that color I did that, that gives you a soft spot. Wow! I, 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 it I, I does. Think it, it does. It's like I had a I, car that was that color. I dig it. I like it. Yeah, you're on your own this one. I think it's. The, <laughs> uh, I I think it's the mix between sort of the mint green mirrors and then sort of the brown um, color. It just it just looks weird. No, not not fun. Oh, oh I, I don't I don't think I've you guys seen don't the, like Andy's mints. <laughs> I don't think I've seen the the full thing with like the the, the mint green on the mirrors, but um, I, I will reserve judgment until I see it in person at Barber. But uh, I don't think it should. It, it it's a good possibility that it does not show at least on television as well as they'd hoped. It just looks it it looks more muddled at least on television it just looks like a brown car and okay. it reminds me of the 72 pinto that i that my dad traded the mg for oh okay yeah i can see why that would come with a a, a negative uh, memory as opposed to a positive one um you know, I think most people come. Right, right, right. You know, cause, yeah, because yeah, I remember the Pinto. We had a Pinto, and it was a piece of crap. Uh, whereas that uh, that Cougar, you could fit twelve high school kids into that Cougar comfortably. Uh, it was it was huge. It was about a block and a half long. But uh, anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> moving back to the race and away from nostalgia. Uh, you know, one of the things that. Uh, uh, to be honest, didn't surprise me given the the struggles that Wickens had throughout the weekend. Was he came into the pits and there didn't seem to be any real hustle or urgency to his pit crew. And we find out that uh, it may be the uh, the GCU, the the gearbox control unit, uh, electronics surrounding his uh, transmission, because uh, he uh, coming out of the hairpin. 
uh, before he came into pits, he just had zero drive. You you heard him sitting there trying to find a gear, and uh, and the the engine just revving up, but the car just not going anywhere. Um, and it was pretty much a, a day ender. Uh, I think he got back out and and tootled around the track a bit for the rest of the day, but uh, uh, that was pretty much it. His his day was was really over on uh, lap 25 when he came into pit. Yeah, pretty much, which was, you know, it was unfortunate. I mean, he was having a decent day up until that point, but have to wonder if if it was the the GCU or some other gearbox problem, um, could that have been a contributor to his comparatively lackluster pace all weekend? Um he wasn't the shining star. He was, you know, the first three races, two races, two races. Yeah, no, I and and perhaps so, perhaps so. Maybe there was something not quite right, and he just wasn't getting drive off of a corner uh, the way he needed to to get uh, to get good uh, good times. But who was getting great drive off of the corners was Sebastian Bourdais. Um, this is about the time uh, around lap thirty when Bourdais really started to uh to come in and uh and start taking uh really started taking control of uh a lot of everybody else. So you had Rossi out doing this thing, out for a Sunday drive, enjoying the sunshine. Um but uh Bourdais was really shaping up to be best of the rest. Um he had started on blacks and on lap thirty one he pitted for reds uh and uh and then he just started uh passing uh all kinds of people and absolutely blew by power in uh in turn one he was uh he was looking really really racy and then in, on lap forty one uh we had uh Kyle Kaiser another DNF for Hunkos Racing as Kaiser ended up into the wall Again, and this was uh, uh, this brought out a full course caution, and uh, and really kind of set up a lot of what would happen there in the middle part of the race. Then it did. I, I did think when Kaiser's when the Kaiser came up for Kaiser that that was kind of the beginning of the sort of traditional IndyCar thing of uh, have a clear period of the race and then just constant Carsons. Um, on street courses and I'm kind of glad it didn't quite become that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of, kind of was the thought that went through my head. Um, Kaj is not having a great year, is he? Um, no. Seems no. to find walls more often than not, sadly. Which is not something that he did in lights. He was pretty clean in, uh, in lights last year. He uh, was. And, and so at, you know, maybe this is getting used to the higher horsepower and and such. Uh, we'll see. You know, it, and it's not really a new team for him. He's still with Hunkos and uh, and around a lot of the same people. But uh, you know, the yeah, experience but... of being in IndyCar is new for everybody on this yep. team on a full time basis. Of course, Hunkos has run uh, partial season, but uh, in terms of putting down a, a full season effort this is this is kind of a new thing for them 
It is, and, and their efforts previously have been centered around Indianapolis. So mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's it's a big big difference. And as you say, the team's got to figure out how to set the car up as well. And perhaps part of the, his problems have been that the team haven't quite figured out how to set up the IndyCar yet. Well, the uh, the on the restart, Rossi does what Rossi do, and uh, <laughs> boom, he was gone again. Uh, Dixon got held up in traffic. And uh, and Ryan Hunter Ray ends up with a uh, with a puncture. Um, who was it? Uh, uh, and and I'm trying to remember who it was that he got uh, he got tangled with, but uh, uh, got a puncture in the uh, in the rear tire. And uh, man, it was just one thing after another for Ryan Hunter Ray. And, you know, some things you could point to and say, well, that was, uh, it's just racing. But a lot of these other mistakes uh, really just seemed like mental lapses. And, uh, and, and you know, this is, this is the uh, site where he won his first IndyCar race uh, back when he was running with the, uh, with the Izod livery. And, uh, and so I, I was surprised to see him have such a... Uh, uh, an unfortunate weekend uh, here at Long Beach. I, I expected him to to be one of the major players this weekend. Yeah, um, I mean, last year before his car broke and all of the Andretti cars broke at Long Beach last year, um, Ryan Hunter was looking like he was going to win the damn thing. So to go from from that last year to, to this, it's... Yeah, it, it, it wasn't a good weekend. I think just a series of things went wrong for him, um, and he made some mistakes. I think Hunter is a driver that kind of has doesn't have any patience on track in terms of he has to be by the car that second. Mm-hmm. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Um, whereas Ross is a little bit more calculated. He'll kind of figure out what's going to happen before it happens. Um, and some drivers are like that. I mean, you see it in, in Formula One as, as well as IndyCar, where you've just got certain drivers, for Sappen certainly, will just go for a move, whatever the outcome. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. others will uh, think it through a bit more. But I think Hunter is kind of quite similar to that. It's like, it's going to work, it's going to work, it's going to work. Oh, it didn't work. <laughs> well, it, you, I, you know, it, it look it, it appears from the outside too that Ryan Hunter Ray is kind of, um, I think to a certain extent he's chasing Alexander Rossi as well, um, although internally trying to be um, trying to not be outshone by his teammate. Oh um, well, yeah, who's the first person you have to beat? Your teammate. Your teammate. You know, and, and it's a it, it's it's like. I don't know if there is a a defined hierarchy or pecking order amongst the drivers at Andretti, um, but it certainly looks like uh, Ryan Hunter Ray and Alex Rossi are certainly competing for it. If there is one, um, yeah. and let's be honest, Alex is winning hands down. I, I, I think there was one, and I think Hunter Ray was the top one, and then Ross has come along and is kind of. Yeah, unsettled him a bit because certainly when it was kind of Rye and and Hinch, Hunter Ray was probably the stronger of the two, or at least the more consistent of the two. Um, certainly that championship year he was, um, and now it's kind of yeah, Rossi has taken that place, and yeah, it's it's got to kind of frustrate a bit when you're trying to catch him. 
and everything sort of falls apart around you. So the the real star of this restart, you know, okay, you could say Rossi to a point, but uh, who really, really uh, stood out was Bourdais. It was on the, oh, la- oh. the lap after the restart. He's approaching uh, uh, Dixon, who is ahead of him in position, and two other uh, lap cars. And if I if if I remember right, it was Spencer Piggott, and and then ahead of uh, ahead of him was Matthias Leist, and coming down the front stretch, Dixon and and Piggott were side by side. And that allowed uh, Bourdais to get just a massive toe. Uh, got a huge draft as those two were side-by-side, side, cutting a giant old hole in the air. And uh, Bourdais got a massive run, goes on the outside of both uh, Dixon and Piggott, and then dives towards the inside and takes Matthias Leist on the inside as they're approaching turn one. It was the... It was the most glorious pass and an example of of car control that I'd seen uh, since Zanardi uh, overtaking Little Al in the corkscrew at uh, at Laguna Seca. Uh, unfortunately, uh, as exciting as that was, and, and it was exciting, and and Bourdais is totally the man for for pulling that off. That was an amazing pass, but. Uh, Dixon gave this little fade to the uh, to the right, and that pushed uh, uh, that pushed Bourdais out just a little bit, and he got his uh, his right side tires uh, over that blend line, and so for a, uh, a, a about ten yards, maybe a little more. Uh, Bourdais was just over the line into the the pit lane exit. Right, and uh, and PT called this out immediately, and uh, and wondered whether there was a penalty. And I kept thinking, eh, PT, you're just looking for an excuse for uh, for for showing a mistake in uh, in what was uh, no, otherwise no, an absolutely brilliant move. And, but he was right, and race control uh, looked at it and said, yeah, you're over that blend line, that's that's a penalty, and he had to yield that position back to Dixon. This really... And he did. He did, and that really got under his skin. And it, it, uh, Okay, we have to set this up. He got the call on the, on the radio. Well, first of all, we saw that, and when I, you know, when we were chatting about it, you know, about PT, it was, you know, calling it on the air was rabble, 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 you know, because it was such a brilliant pass. Um, And then the penalty came down that he had to, you know, give the, give the uh, position back to Dixon, Mm -hmm. which the other two cars involved were lap down cars. So it didn't make it, you know, there was no position gain. The only position gain was Dixon. So, uh, he, he set it up. Uh, the Bourdais faded back, let Dixon by, and what was it? Two corners, three corners later, he's like, "No, yeah. give me that back." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, Fine. he he passed Dixon in in short order after that, and uh, in the post race uh, quotes, 
Uh, he admitted to having a bit of the red mist in front of him and being uh, a little ticked off about uh, about the whole situation. Yeah, he also called half a good idiot, but <laughs> well, <laughs> for, uh, for getting stuck back with wits, it's fair enough, I guess. Um, <laughs> well, um, I mean, the past was amazing. I showed it to someone today, because um, IndyCar's obviously sent this all over social media, um, and they don't follow IndyCar, and I saw them, and they thought it was amazing. I didn't tell they got a penalty for it. I thought that might spoil it a little, but... Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, it was an amazing pass. I mean, we were watching Formula One in the morning yesterday, and mm-hmm. uh, Ricardo did some fantastic passes, and it was like, God, oh, that was good. Didn't he and just? Then you, and then you looked at Bordet's pass, and it was just like, holy, wow, <laughs> that one was um, that one was amazing. Now, um, now, if I remember correctly, though, um, uh, Leist and who, whoever the other lapped car was, it. as well as. Piggott, um, as well as Dixon, they were all on blacks, and um, Bourdais was on uh, reds. So he had the advantage of the softer compound. Um, even so, being able to take advantage of the the, the additional grip from the, the, the red compound tires as precisely as he did into turn one, this wasn't a dive bomb. He was able to calculate that gap in a split second and throw his car into it and come out the other side without under a control under complete control that is uh, just mastery yeah it it still for me is the pass of the decade uh that's how I am going to remember it was it was absolutely masterful uh regardless of what race control says uh, but uh the uh, the other big story of this did before the next uh, caution was uh, Rossi comes into pits. There's uh, there's only 85 laps in uh, in the race, and he comes in for his last service on lap 54. I'm like, is he going to have enough fuel, or is he going to have enough tires to uh, to to survive to the end? Uh, I, I wondered about that, but at the same time, I also wondered, you know, if there's a uh, caution here right soon, he's going to come out of this smelling like a rose. And I'm mm. certain the team using that strategy was banking on at least one more caution period um, it's a pretty good you know, before the end of the race. Yeah. Yeah. So. And it's one of those things that towards the end of the race, yeah, you do want to be um, the first car to finish your service, right? Uh, yep. You want to be the, the, the first in and out and be, be good for the rest of the race in case of stuff like that happening or uh, what happened just a mere four laps after Rossi came in. That was uh, DeMello into the wall, bringing out the full course caution, Uh Dixon and uh, Borde both died for the pits. Uh, and it, in the replay, you could see very clearly from uh, from Borde's on board uh, that that it was close pit. I mean, there it is. There's the alternating, uh, you know, flashing uh, yellow and and red uh, LEDs, and it, it, pits closed. Uh, they came in, and Bourdais, who had already committed to to the pit lane and, and was stuck, he couldn't he couldn't not come into pits at that point. Uh, 
he had to continue down at pit lane speed all the way through. But Dixon stopped and took service, uh, and slow service because the uh, uh, the crew knew that pits were closed. And they're like, "Are are we allowed to to do this? Are we doing this?" And uh, they kind of hesitated to start or to start. In fact, they had to bring uh, a tire back out, right? Yeah, right, because technically you're allowed to do emergency service under closed pits, right? Because um, you 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 can if there's a puncture, but you have to change all four tires, and you can put a very very limited amount of fuel in, although it is restricted. But they did a proper service on Dixon's car. What I, what I'm wondering though is. Um, if Baudet, with the pass earlier on, if he hadn't have had to kind of very slightly go back and give Dixon the place back, would he have made it into pit at that point before it closed? I don't know. Been, been very close. Uh, I, Good question. I think he probably would have been past uh, pit in. Because you've only got to get the tyre over the line before it closes. At right. that point, you're in the pit, and it's, it, it classifies. Um, so, yeah, I, I think he might have just made that, which is a slight same from his perspective. But um, as for them getting penalties, yeah, I mean, you can't really argue it. Um, I know Ganassi, Mike Hall said on their display, it said this and whatever, but, you know, it's, it's a closed pit. Um, I think a, a few teams got caught out because I think a lot of them, certainly I think Ganassi and I also think... Uh, with Baudet and also Chilton got caught out in this. I think they expected the pits to be open a little longer than what they were. I don't think they expected race control to close them quite as quickly as they did, and I think that caught them out. Um, and I think that was that was what happened there. Um, I think they were expecting just getting in time. From the <clears throat> excuse me, from the uh, uh, from the video when they were showing, uh, you know, with the the three cars, because uh, Bourdais, Dixon, and Chilton all came into the pits together. Uh, they showed uh, Chilton pulling into the into his pit stall, and I believe he got service too. I, I'm not certain if they received a penalty. Um, yeah, it would certainly they, seem it would it was it was warranted, but I never heard anything about it. Yeah, but they Chilton, weren't a contender, so it may not have been a big deal. Yeah, they, 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 they got a penalty for fueling in the closed pit. Dixon got it for uh, full service in the closed pit. And I don't know what um, Baudet got it for because they didn't say, but he certainly got a penalty for it. So, uh, yeah. Um, but, but yeah, um, it's just saying that it didn't work out, but I think they all just expected that they would have, I don't know, four more seconds to get into pit lane before it's shut and it, it, it didn't work out for any of them but I guess that's the gamble that you've got to go with at that point so there we go well of course with the the yellow and and the mad dash once pit lane did open uh, of everybody coming in and legally receiving service Rossi cycles back to the front and uh, at, at that point, I'm like, yeah, if he's got the, the juice and the tires to make it to the end, that's it. This is, this is game over, and everybody else is fighting for, uh, for a second. Um, but the, the thing during the, uh, during the exchange that, uh, that kind of surprised me was uh, uh, Jordan King coming in to bleed the brakes, and he was doing so well, too. Yeah, I think that might be a, a lack of experience on street circuits playing its part. 
um, because I don't think King's done a great deal of racing on street circuits. Um, so I, I, I'm guessing that's what it is. And the sort of demands on brakes being different in that. Uh, but uh, the other thing was that uh, you know when when we got ready to uh, to go again, here we're looking at uh, Veach and uh, and Andretti in P5 and P6 respectively, and Ed Jones up in uh, P3, which I thought that was fantastic. I did too. Um... It was it was nice to see him up there, and it was nice to see both of them up there. Um, yeah, they they just sort of seem to seem to get their way towards the front and be in the right place at the right time when uh, the penalties came through for um, Dixon and Bodet and capitalised on that, and I think, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. And uh... <laughs> You know, poor Bourdais, he was working his way back through, right? He had, uh, because of uh, the getting caught out uh, with the with the closed pits and being kind of shuffled back, uh, you know, back with the rest of the uh, rest of the crowd, um, you know, and, and as you mentioned, Bourdais didn't have uh, kind things to say about the crowd into which he got uh, put back. Um you know, it, it he has a point. It, it maybe not the right choice of word, but uh, it, he it in is, the moment, right? It, it is a a riskier place to be, surrounded by uh, more inexperienced drivers, and and well, it, you know, it showed why it's a nervous place. He got tapped and turned around uh, by uh, by Jordan King, and where was this? This was in the. Uh, in the hairpin, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, and, King uh, basically steamed in and caused chaos. Yeah. Yeah, and... that was that was that was one of those what were you thinking moments. I be... think he thought he had more breaks than he did and uh he he uh he didn't uh he didn't think to take it easy a little bit given that they had just bled his brakes and he knew that he had brake issues. Uh, you know, to say, hey, let's uh, let's be easy in this, and uh, you know, and that's easy to say. Us uh, sitting in our armchairs versus sitting there in in a cockpit. Uh, but I I wonder if it didn't have something to do with the brake issue he was having earlier. Uh, but what brought out the full course caution was in all this mayhem that happened in the uh, in the hairpin. Uh, Wick installed and needed to be restarted, which means you have to bring the field back under control to get, uh, uh, you know, to get the uh, AMR equipment and crew out there with a starter to get him fired up again. Uh, once the uh, the the green flew again, though, and uh, we had the restart. Uh, there's Rossi off again, and uh, Ryan Hunter Ray. Ends up uh, what pushing wide and uh, and breaking his front wing uh, on the wall, and so yet another uh, yet another uh, mistake from uh, from Ryan Hunter Ray, an avoidable one in uh, in my opinion. Uh, but in the uh, in the dwindling laps on lap eighty, they showed the uh, the graphic of how much push pass that Power had. 
versus how much push pass uh, Rossi had. And Power had 117 seconds to Rossi's 66. And I thought, ooh, that's a big deficit. I mean, there is only five laps left. That's still a big deficit. And I thought that uh, Power is going to have a, a much more substantial uh, chance of catching Rossi up and making a, uh, an effort at, uh, at passing or at least pressuring him. But really, he never even got close. And in the end, they were about, uh, they both had pushed past left, but. Uh, uh, it was about even. It was about even. It, it looked like Rossi did a much better job of just. Uh, car management and resource management than anybody else in the field did that day. It does. And in terms of the post to pass at the end, I mean, when you've got power doing it and Rossi doing it, I think Rossi is going to be much more reserved at pressing the post to pass button than what will power is. So it's the kind of attitude different of the two. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was a Rossi was just uncatchable really um, by anyone. And it was a, a great win by him. Um, just one slight note on on the King accident. I mean, let's be honest. There's been much more experienced, longer, yeah, uh, people who've been in IndyCar for a lot longer, um, done that at the hairpin at uh, Long Beach. Oh so, yeah. So um, yeah, it's it's quite a quite a common occurrence. So. Um, as, as frustrating as it was for people around him, um, yeah, it, it's, it's not the first time it's happened, and it certainly won't be the last. No, and and I think he probably did have uh, he did probably did hit the break point as he thought he was supposed to when he was supposed to, but uh, perhaps just didn't have the braking force that he used to in the car, and that's that's what led to it. Uh, but with the uh, with the win and the uh, and the previous good results, uh, Alexander Rossi is now ahead of defending champion Joseph Newgarden uh, in the uh, in the points. And Graham Rahal, after uh, as you mentioned earlier, Tom, he had a uh, uh, he had a nice recovery from that lap one turn one uh, little incident. And uh, and he survives to to hang on to uh, to third spot in the uh, in the championship. So this is going to be interesting going into uh, into the month of May here after Barber, because right now uh, Joseph Newgarden is in second, but the next team Penske driver isn't. Uh, well, it's it's Ryan Hunter Ray down. Or I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's uh, Will Power down in eighth right behind Ryan Hunter Ray in seventh. Uh, and so the, uh, the, the Penske guys are, are having a tough time, especially Simon Pagino. He's way back in, uh, in 16th. Now, of course there's a lot of season left. And of course there's a lot of points to be had during the month of May itself. But, uh, it's, you know, and we mentioned this after the St. Petersburg race, Penske just, doesn't seem to be Penske, you know what we're used to seeing Penske be as the top dog, and everybody chases them. Uh, it's uh, there's a bit more parody going on here. Yeah, you that's know, true. Sorry, I let John go first. No, what I was going to say is is the last um, couple of seasons, um, Andretti 
specifically, uh, but it, really it appeared to be the entire Honda camp had uh, they had put all of their efforts uh, and focus into winning Indianapolis, which they did great. Mm-hmm. Um, they won some other races a- along the way too, but they always seem to be just kind of a step behind uh, uh, Chevy, at least in terms of, of, of power, um, everywhere besides Indy. And I'm wondering if maybe not, uh, maybe Penske is taking the tack of putting their focus on Indianapolis more so than the remainder of the season um, for whatever reason. It, it doesn't seem like it's a very good strategic move considering the past couple of years, uh, the number of points available at Indianapolis, especially uh, considering qualifying is, uh, is a lot, but I, I, I don't know. Maybe, uh, that might be a plausible explanation for, uh, you know, why they're comparatively lackluster. You know, Penske has always held Indianapolis in great esteem, right? And and that's always been uh, a top priority for the Penske crew is is the entire month of May in, in Indianapolis. Uh, however, I don't know that they're they're a team that would be willing to to chuck the rest of the season, especially since they have the defending champion uh, just in favor of Indianapolis. So. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I, I, I have a hard time buying into that. I guess. Okay. They, in terms of Penske this year, I mean, they they won last time out. I mean, let's let's not forget that. But um, yeah, it's it's not quite gone to plan so far. But I think you need to be really careful how much you read into points because Robert Wickens has had a fantastic season and he's twelve because he's not managed to finish. Well, he's managed to finish, but something's gone wrong in basically every race he's been up there. So, you know, I think if you just read it into points, yeah, Penske's having a bad year, but if you read it into where they've kind of been or thereabouts, I think they're having a pretty good year. I think they've lost one, well, they've lost one big advantage this year, which isn't really the engine, but it's the error. Um, for the last few years, this heavy error package has been the best error package by quite a long way. And now suddenly they've got a bunch of Honda teams that are right with them because they've got the same aero package as them. Um, and I think the Honda engine looks a little better on road courses this year than what the Chevrolet does too. Um, maybe they're putting a bit more into Indianapolis, but I, I think that's the big loss is that they haven't got an aero advantage. Makes yeah. sense. And, you know, as they mentioned in a, uh, a lot of the, the, the pre-race broadcast. Uh, and, and in other places is that uh, Honda not having the power advantage has really had to work extra hard on uh, on their chassis setup and making sure everything else was absolutely top notch just to keep up with uh, Chevy and overcome that power deficit uh, and so now that the uh, the arrow is, is is all equal um uh, yeah maybe some of the other development aspects that uh the Honda had been doing previously uh kind of uh kind of come up a little bit yeah yeah perhaps um but yeah i think just Penske are going to come back as the season goes on but i think just be as i said be careful when you look at it on points because Wickens is now basically needs a 
decent weekend and actually to be up there uh, for Smith and I think Penske are kind of the same they just need to get a weekend together uh, and I think they'll be right back in the fight but unfortunately it's kind of slipping away at the moment. Well I think uh, the Barber Motorsport Park will probably fit into <clears throat> Wiccan's uh, skill set pretty well uh, natural terrain road course in uh, just outside of beautiful Birmingham, Alabama and John you're going to be there this, this coming weekend. I will be, yes. I have been away from this race and this race track for far too long. It will be good to go back. Good. I, I wish I could be down there with you. It's uh, it's one of the things I uh, uh, I want to do is, is get down there uh, and, and not just see the race, but I want to get down there early before the race so I can uh, take my time and go through the museum down there. Uh, with the uh, with the motorcycle history and the motorcycle racing history that they have on display, as well as their assortment of uh, of lotuses, I actually have a T-shirt from the museum, uh, but it was from my brother when when he went. He uh, one weekend he just uh, got bored and said, "Yep, I'm going to go look at motorcycles down in Birmingham." <laughs> and, there you go. And, and he went and had a great time. Uh, my uh, my in laws are museum. They, they have a membership level at the museum that actually permits them um, during the race weekend to perch lawn chairs up in the museum in the air conditioning and watch the race from there. Oh, fantastic. Nice. So, it is nice. And which, which is actually a, a, you know, if you get the right... Uh, uh, the right place. You have a really good view of that uh, that little kink before they enter the museum turn, mm-hmm. where, and the cars are uh, notoriously unsettled, um, as well as going down the uh, uh, the back stretch and the the little chicane down there. So, so it's, is that it's, where you will be, or where do you plan on setting up camp? So that way we I, can wave at you when we see you on TV. I I, I do not have such privilege. Um, <laughs> however. Uh, again, thank you to uh, to my in-laws. They will be lending me a pop-up and a couple of folding chairs, which I will plant along with a cooler um, on the hillside overlooking turn two. That's the proper way of doing it. Right, right. With the, with cherries or without cherries? Um, you know, I have some in the refrigerator. <laughs> All right. So I, I have yet to partake of these cherries, but uh, I have heard from you and uh, Mr. Weitzel uh, and, uh, and Peachin back in the day and their adventures at Mid-Ohio that they are potent. Yeah, I, I don't know if the uh, the cherries will be making the trip to Birmingham with me, though. Uh, that might be a bit much. <laughs> uh, although uh, although uh, uh, putting together uh, like some vodka and lemonade, uh, that might be in order. There you go. Some Southern lemonade. But uh, anyway, so as I'm looking at Barber and thinking back to past races and and how this new aero package uh, has has changed the dynamics of the car, I got to think turn five at Barber is going to get really, really interesting. Yeah, uh, you have to figure. Okay, yes, it's a hairpin, but the entry to that hairpin, you come up over a crest, which unloads a very high speed mm-hmm. uh, crest um, before you make the approach into that hairpin. And that's going to affect the braking points. And I can definitely see people <laughs> getting caught out there. Although um, the 
the the the crazy two wide passing and the hairpin that we've seen in the past few years. Uh, you know, I think Graham Rahal actually started that. Um, I don't know if we're going to see that anymore. Um, the, the arrow changes of the car, I don't think are going to make that work. No, but I fully expect a lot more people uh, offline and, uh, and and on the outside of that corner than uh, than we have in the past. Because it's not only you're coming over crest uh, from the previous turn, but the entire braking zone all the way down to turn five is is downhill. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, what little doubt or little uh, braking force you had already, you just have that much less. But joining the uh, the Indy cars this uh, coming weekend will be the Pro Mazda and the Indy Lights cars. And so, we'll see if Renus VK can uh, continue his good run. Uh, Parker Thompson and Carlos Kuna are right on his heels. Uh, so, I think uh, the the two races here at Barber could. Really shape uh, shape how the, the the middle part of the season is going to go. Uh, you know, they come to Indianapolis uh, next, but uh, I think these two races are are critical for setting up how the the mid season for the Pro Mazda Championship is is going to take shape. Uh, and really, same for uh, for Indy Light Santi Santiago uh, leads right now, but Pato Award, uh, who is strong but has also shown can can make mistakes uh, as he's new to uh, to these Indy Lights cars. Uh, he and Shelby Blackstock aren't too far behind, but uh, I really think this is going to be a fight between uh, Arutia and Award. Uh, and right now, I still think advantage Arutia, but. Um, you know, as you say, you turn five and in uh, that really weird little kink before the museum corner uh, can uh, can really mess up a lot of people. There's mistakes that can be made there, and uh, we'll see how it goes. And so we're looking forward to to your uh, thoughts and images and reports uh, live from the uh, from the uh, grassy knoll as it as it were, outside of turn <laughs> two. And uh, how about some uh, predictions for the race itself, gentlemen? Who who do you foresee on the podium? Um, I'm going to go with Rossi winning it, um, Wiccan second, and Dixon third. Okay. This is a great track for Dixon. He uh, He likes these types of tracks. Uh, he's done well here. He's done well at Mid Ohio. Uh, another uh, uh, small uh, natural terrain road course, really designed for motorcycles and sports cars in mind, as opposed to uh, big high power open seaters. So I, I can totally see that. John, um, I, th- I I'm going to say Rossi for the win as well. Um, but I'm going to see Newgarden and Pagano duking it out for the other two rounds of the podium. I think that we're going to kind of see a repeat, and there that battle for second is going to be uh, way behind uh, Rossi. I uh, yeah, I think Rossi's going to be there. I don't think he's going to be as strong at Barber as he was 
in uh, in these first three. I think he still finds the podium, but I I like Newgarden. I uh, I really like Newgarden on this type of track. I uh, I'm going to pick him. Uh, man, I I love Dixon, and I think he's a great driver. I just I don't have a lot of confidence in his team right now. Uh, we're at the, the pre-target Ganassi, I think, hands down. Yeah, it's Dixon. Um, <clears throat> in the uh, in the post-target era, I, I'm not so sure. Um, I see him playing a role, but I don't I don't think I have him on the podium. Um, I'm inclined I, to agree with you. I uh, I really like Bourdais. Uh, and uh, I, you know, I'm sitting here tossing back and forth. Is it is it New Garden uh, with uh, Bourdais and Wickens, uh, or is it New Garden with uh, with Wickens and Rossi? But so put Rossi, Bourdais, and Wickens into a hat and pull out two. Um, <laughs> and and I think that's your podium. All right. All right, gentlemen. Uh, John, safe travels to you. Uh, Thank you. And, uh, and as always, keep your head on a swivel and watch out. Uh, keep yourself safe as well as those around you. And uh, to our good friends up in, uh, in Oregon, Mike Shaw and... Uh, and all those going to the Oregon Trail Rally to spectate, to volunteer, to work, to organize, and to race. Uh, keep it uh, shiny side up, rubber side down. And uh, we'll see you next time.